Well, I think if the rapture happened right then. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, if you would take your Bible and open to the passage that uh, Matt read for me earlier, <laughs> my personal scripture reader. Romans chapter 11. Just uh, as you're turning in your Bible, I just want to mention that uh, how much I personally appreciated getting to hear the golden airs this morning. That was such a blessing. Um, if you don't, if you're not familiar with that ministry, uh, the golden airs go and as, as Doug said, they've been on their world tour. Um, they, they go to a lot of nursing homes and sing. And if you've ever been in a nursing home, you know, sometimes that can be a difficult place for the residents and uh, it can be a discouraging place. If you're there and your family doesn't come to see you or they don't come to see you very often, or maybe you don't remember if they came to see you, uh, just having uh, some folks come and do what the Golden Heirs does is such a blessing. Uh, just, just means the world. Uh, you know, Scripture is clear that we need to care for the widows, that we need to respect the elderly. And I'm just so thankful that we have such a vibrant senior adult ministry uh, and, and vibrant senior adults here at West Park. Um, they are a blessing to this church. And I just wanted to say that. And I'm just, you know, th when they let me preach, they don't know what's going to happen. So I'm just going to, you know, I'm, uh, I am the, uh, uh, I keep wanting to say pastor to senior adults. That's not actually my title. My title is minister of pastoral care, but I, I am over the senior adults. And so if, uh, if you listen to podcasts, there's going to be one uh, put out there tomorrow, dropped is the term. I had to learn these terms. Uh, but it's going to be dropped tomorrow and talking about senior adult ministry. And so I would appreciate it if you'd go out there and listen to it. Uh, by the way, how many of you are listening to the West Park podcast? Let me see those hands. Okay, a lot of hands aren't up yet. So start listening to those podcasts. They are wonderful and Tara is amazing. She, she's, uh, she's like our resident radio host here and does a fantastic job with that. And uh, it's just, it's so well done. And it's such a blessing to hear things that you, we just don't have time to cover it all on a Sunday morning. And so it's just a great opportunity. All right. So enough of that. Let's move on to the scripture this morning. Uh, we are in Romans, and we're in this section of Romans, uh, chapter 9 through chapter 11, that especially talks about God's workings in the nation of Israel. What he has been doing, what he is doing, what he's going to do in Israel and through Israel uh, throughout this, this new covenant time, this New Testament time. And, and so we're kind of getting close to the end of that. Here in chapter 11, that is that section. And what I wanted to do was just kind of review a little bit of where we've come over these last three chapters. Uh, there's so much. I'll have to make my review very brief because I could just dive into each one. There's just so much in chapter 9, chapter 10, and Pastor Sam preached from chapter 11, the first part of chapter 11 last week. But 
In chapter 9, beginning in, in verse 1, Paul says this. He says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Now, it's interesting, Paul says this, I'm speaking the truth, I'm not lying. And I think the reason he says that is to emphasize that this is a, this is a pretty bold statement. To say that I want my fellow Israelites to come to faith in Christ so much that if I could be separated from Christ in exchange for their salvation, I would do it. That's a pretty big statement. And he wants us to understand this is not hyperbole. He is serious. If he could exchange his salvation... For the salvation of his brothers and sisters in Israel, he would do it. That's how much he cared for them. But unfortunately, the vast majority of Jewish people have not received their Messiah. There are some. There's a remnant. But the vast majority have not. And so Paul's heart was broken over that. But he recognized that because of this, many in Israel, if ethnically Israel, those who are actually descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they're the physical descendants of Abraham, but they're not the children of the promise. Down in verse 6 through verse 8 of chapter 9, he says this, but it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Not all the children of Abraham, uh, not are all the excuse me, not all are the children of Abraham, because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted as offspring. So when he talks about ethnic Israel, he's also talking about now spiritual Israel. Those who belong to the family of Abraham because of the promise, by faith. And they can be Jew or Gentile. But he's saying all of those who are ethnically Israelites are not necessarily really children of the promise. And that's the problem. The reason for this is explained in chapter 10. Chapter 10, beginning in chapter 10, verse 1, he says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Once again, he's reiterating that. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And here's the problem. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they, they did not submit to God's righteousness. This is the problem with most of the Jewish nation and really most of the world. 
We try to establish our own righteousness by our own deeds. And if we try to establish our own righteousness, it's impossible for us to, to submit ourselves to the righteousness of God. This is the righteousness that comes only through faith in Jesus Christ. Without Jesus Christ and his sacrifice, no one, Jew or Gentile, can be made righteous. That is the only source of righteousness. And so in the same chapter 10, verse 8, he begins saying this. He says, but what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the Lord, the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I remember as a as a young person, always hearing that the Jews were God's chosen people. And I was so confused. I, I, I didn't understand. But the scripture's clear that whether you're Jew or whether you're Gentile, folks, there's only one way to the Father. That's through Jesus Christ. And if your family lineage takes you back to Abraham, that's wonderful. But that does not get you into the kingdom of God. If your family lineage leads who knows where, like mine, <laughs> you can still come into the kingdom of God because Jesus Christ has made a way for you. The same way he's made for the Jews and the same way he's made for all Gentiles. Whether Jew or Gentiles, there's only one way to be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. And then we get to chapter 11. Beginning of chapter 11, Pastor Sam preached from this passage last week. Paul says this. He says, I ask then, has God rejected his people? And this is a natural question. After everything we've just talked about, how Israel has, has turned their back on God. And, and now Paul asks this question. Has God rejected his people? By no means. For I am an Israelite. Paul himself was a Jew. He's a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know that the scripture says of Elijah how he appeals to God about against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars. I alone am left and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. So Paul's saying God has not turned his back on Israel. He's not turned his back on Israel. Paul was, was living proof of that. And he hearkened back to Elijah and said when Elijah thought he was the only one, God said, I have 7,000. And he takes that principle and applies it to his day, which is still true today. God has always kept a remnant. There are. Many 
who are ethnically Jewish, who have received Yeshua, who have put their faith in their Messiah, Jesus Christ. Praise God for that. It's not the majority, but praise God that there are some who have received him. And so as Pastor Sam reminded us last week that God has not rejected his people, Israel. And God has reserved a remnant. God has reserved a remnant. God made promises in the Old Testament. Max is going to sing a song for us in just a few minutes that is based, based on that. On that covenant, that new covenant. And I'd like you to listen with me as he sings scripture to us. of Judah
Now that's some serious help with my introduction, let me tell you. (laughs) We are so blessed. I was talking about how blessed we are to have seniors. We're also blessed to have young men and young women who serve Jesus uh, and love the Lord. We are, what, what what a blessing, what a promise that is for the future for us. So, we've just reviewed three chapters, almost. But now we're down to almost the end of chapter 11. And how does the New Testament tell us that we need to view the truth about God's people? Well, in Genesis chapter chapter 3, chapter 12, excuse me, verse 3, God says, I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That promise was spoken by God to Abraham. Now, we need to understand what God wants us to do with the Israelites. As Pastor Sam mentioned last week, terrible things have been done to the Jewish people in the name of Jesus Christ. Atrocities have been committed. That is not what God wants us to do. God wants us to be a blessing to the people of Abraham, the people of Isaac and Jacob. That doesn't mean that we necessarily always agree with everything that the political nation, Israel, does. That's not the same thing. What we need to do is follow Paul's example. Paul's example was to desire their salvation. Even to the point that he would be willing to trade his own salvation for the salvation of his nation. You see, the way we bless them is by loving them to Jesus. By acting like Jesus, being like Jesus, being kind and sharing the gospel with them. That's how we bless them. God wants us to be a blessing. And secondly, we need to understand that what God is doing with Israel is vitally important 
to his plan. He knows what he's doing. He's not just put them on hold, but he's actively at work even today. And that brings us to the title of my message. See, we just now got to it. That is God's merciful mystery. God's merciful mystery. Look with me again at the passage that we read earlier. Verse 25 in chapter 11. He says, lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. Now you've heard it said many times, I'm sure, that about these mysteries that Paul talks about in the New Testament. That a mystery is not something that's necessarily hard to understand, but it is something that previously was not revealed, but now is being revealed here in Scripture. It is now being revealed. So here's the mystery, and this mystery is filled with God's mercy. It's an amazing thing that God has done and is doing. So, what is this mystery? Well, first of all, it's, it has to do with God's mercy in hardening. Look at verse 25 again, the, last, the next part. A partial hardening has come, has, has come upon Israel. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. God has hardened the Jewish people. You think, why would he do that? Doesn't he want them to be saved? I mean, if Paul wants them to be saved, surely God wants them to be saved. He absolutely wants them to be saved. I'm going to harken back to Sam's message again last week. He talked about a judicial hardening. We see this in Scripture and other places. He did this with Pharaoh. Pharaoh heard from Moses and he hardened his heart. And each time Moses would come and say, let my people go, he would harden his heart. And eventually, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And this happens with people today. I remember many years ago, a lady in our church when I was a pastor, she asked me to go visit her her father in the hospital. And he was really near the end of his life. And he had never received Christ. He had rejected time and time again. People had pled with him. His, his daughter had pled with him. Others had pled with him to receive Christ. And so I went and I sat by his bedside and I was sharing the gospel with him. And I was explaining to him how Jesus died on the cross for him and took his place. And I, I was trying to explain the fact that we all have sinned And because of our sin, the wages of sin is death, that there is a sentence of death against us. But Jesus died in our place, and he said, I don't understand that. And I thought, how can you not understand that? And so I I got a little piece of paper out, and I tried to draw a diagram to illustrate Jesus exchanged his righteousness for my sin, for your sin, and he is giving you his righteousness and he's taking, he's taking your sin upon him. And he said, I don't understand. That doesn't make sense to me. And I couldn't understand how, how he couldn't wrap his mind around that. My fear was that he had hardened himself so much that he had gotten to a place where he was now unable 
to understand the simplest thing, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Israel has hardened themselves and hardened themselves. And so God hardened their hearts. But notice this. He hardened their hearts. It's a temporary hardening. It's a partial hardening, but it's also a temporary hardening. Partial hardening has come upon Israel until. See, that hardening is only temporary. It's until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Now, what does that mean? Well, I don't pretend to know all that that means. But I do understand that there is a a period of time that Jesus is referring to in which God is working among the Gentiles. Luke chapter 21, verse 24, he said this, They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations, and Israel will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. There is a time of the Gentiles. I believe we're now living in that time, the time of the Gentiles. And part of the evidence for that is the church of Jesus Christ is primarily Gentile. Most people throughout the world that are coming to Christ right now in America and other places are not Jewish people. This is the time of the Gentiles. And aren't you glad it is if you're a Gentile? Because without this time, without this part of God's plan, you and I would probably not be saved. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. God is at work among the Gentiles because the Jews hardened themselves against the gospel, against their Messiah, and now God has hardened them so that he could turn the gospel to us. And praise God that he did. But that's not the end of the story. Verse 26. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. You see, God's plan is not just to save Jews. God's plan is not just to save Gentiles. But God wants to save everybody. He's not willing that any should perish. His gospel goes out to all the world, both Jew and Gentile. But it was to the Jew first and then also to the Greek. And so God's plan is to reach the fullness of the Gentiles. That's a big word, fullness. All that in the Gentiles, among the Gentiles that will come to Christ, he's going to complete that. He's going to bring every last Gentile that is part of his elect to him. He's going to complete the task. And then all Israel will be saved. He's going to complete the task among Israel. Does that mean every single Jew will be saved? No, these are terms that he's talking about that all among Israel who will be saved will come to faith in him. Because God has mercy. Even the hardening of the Jewish hearts is God's mercy. And God's mercy is also illustrated in his promises. Look at verse 
26, the rest of the verse. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Just as the young men were singing earlier, God said, I will make a new covenant. I will take away their sins. I will forgive their sins. I will write my law upon their heart. God's heart is to reach all people, the Jewish people and the non-Jewish people. God is in the business of saving souls, folks. God desires people to come to faith in Him. And the Deliverer has come. Jesus. Jesus is that Deliverer. He's the one who brings salvation. Paul's quoting from Psalm 14 and Isaiah 59 when he says this. And it has been fulfilled in Jesus. He is the one who would save both Jew and Gentile. Zechariah says this in chapter 12, verse 10, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look upon me, on him who they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child, and weep bitterly over him as one weeps for a firstborn. There's going to come a time we don't know exactly when it is. And I don't think there's like a, a specific day, demarcation. But God is going to move His Spirit among the Jewish people. And there will be a vast majority of it, or vast number of them turning to Jesus Christ. God is in the business of saving souls. He wants to save Jews. And he wants to save Gentiles. And God knows how to do it. He works in ways that don't make sense to us. You know, Jesus had to deal with his, his disciples as they were following him about when they would argue who was the greatest. They wanted to be the greatest. James and John wanted to sit on his right hand and on his left. And he taught them that the way to be great in the kingdom of heaven is to be a servant. God works just the opposite, the way our mind works. And so God has hardened the Jewish people for a time, for a season, in order to save not only Jews, but Gentiles. That's what God is about. He is a merciful God. And then God's mercy over our sin. Look in verse 28. It says, as regards the gospel, they are enemies, the Jews. He's talking to Gentiles. He says, as regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. Verse 29, for the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. When God made those promises to Abraham, he knew everything that was going to happen in the future. He knew all of Abraham's mistakes he would make, all of Isaac's, all of Jacob's, and all their descendants. But God chose him anyway. 
When God makes a promise, He keeps it. God does not take back His promises. He does not revoke them. God keeps His word. He can be counted on. And as Christians today, folks, that is such a comfort to our hearts. Because God has made so many promises to us, and we can believe every promise of God is yes and amen in Jesus Christ. He will keep His word. God is not a man that He can lie. Everything God has said is true. Just to think about the nation of Israel being in existence today as a physical nation since 1948. No ancient people have ever come back and reformed their nation. God did that. Folks, God will keep all of His promises. He's kept them to Israel. He'll continue to keep them and He'll keep them for you. He's a promise-keeping God. God showed mercy for their disobedience. Look in verse 30. He says, For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. So first of all, he talks about our disobedience as Gentiles. Now, when he uses the word you, he's talking about a group of people. He's not talking to individuals. You Gentiles. You Gentiles were once disobedient. You see, we were outside of the family. We, we weren't Israelites. We weren't children of Abraham, if, if you're like me and you're a Gentile. I'm, I've got a, my, my sister did the, uh, what is it, the ancestry thing where you send in your DNA. I can't think of the name of it. Yeah. Did the genealogy, but she did it with the, with the DNA. And she wants to t- meet me and tell me what she found out. I'm kind of scared. I don't know where that went, who we're related to, but I'm pretty sure it doesn't go back to Abraham. I think about my own personal history, just growing up in a home without knowing Jesus Christ. I I came to faith in Christ as a a young boy, but our, our family did not live a Christian life. And I'm amazed at what, I'm amazed at the grace that God has shown me. If you're honest about your life, you would be amazed too. Of how much mercy He has shown you. God takes our sin and exchanges it for mercy. When Jesus was being nailed to that cross... He said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. He was showing mercy on those who were murdering him. That's our God. 
He's a God of mercy. And so for the Gentiles who were apart from God, had no claim on God, no relationship with God, we were not in the family of Israel. That was our disobedience. And in that disobedience, we have now received mercy. Why? Because the Jews were disobedient. When Jesus came to them and presented himself to them, they rejected him. They said, we have no king but Caesar. They said, crucify him. They turned their back on him. They spit on him. They despised him. They rejected him. And because they rejected their king, he's now become our king. Because of their disobedience, we now have mercy. But guess what? Because we have now received mercy and they have been disobedient, God is going to extend his mercy to them as well. Because that is the nature of God. He is a merciful God. Amen. I like that. That's the best amen I've had all day. Verse 32. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he might he may have mercy on all doesn't that seem like an odd statement god has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all remember what jesus said to the jews he said i've not come to call the righteous but sinners. They didn't like the fact that he would spend time with publicans and sinners. Jesus didn't hang out with the church crowd. He didn't hang out with the religious elites. He hung out with the people who knew they were sinners. Now, Paul is not here telling us, and he deals with this in another place, that we need to sin more so we get more grace, you know. That's, that's not what he's saying. We sin enough, okay? <laughs> we don't need to go out looking for more. We're bad enough as it is. We don't try to make it worse. But what he is saying is until we realize the fact that we are all sin sinners, we are all rebellious against God, we cannot receive mercy. Sometimes you have to get someone to understand they're a sinner before they can get saved. Because if you think you're okay, you've got a problem. If you go to the doctor and you have something going on in your body and you tell the doctor I've got these symptoms and, and the doctor says you have cancer and you say uh, no I don't 
The doctor said, well, we need to cut that cancer out, and then there's going to be a, a process. You're going to have to have chemotherapy and maybe some radiation. He said, but I don't have cancer. I don't need to take those things. I don't have cancer. Well, you can say you don't have cancer all day long, but you're going to die of cancer if you've got cancer. Folks, you can say you're not a sinner all day long, but you will die and go to hell without Jesus Christ. You can deny your sinfulness. You can claim that you're righteous. You can say that I'm better than my neighbor. You can say I go to church, I give, I serve, I do this, I do that. And I'm not as bad as that guy down the street. But let me tell you, when you die and leave this life, if you don't have Christ as your Savior, you will go to hell. You will not go to heaven. I mean, that's as plain as I can get it. Remember, the only way to be saved, the only way to be righteous for Jew and Gentile, for all people, is Christ and Christ alone. It's through faith in Jesus Christ without works, not trusting in your works. Oh, your faith will produce works, but it's not the works that save you. It's faith in Christ that saves you. It's Christ that saves you. Because like I shared with that man on the bed, on his deathbed in the hospital. I'm going to share the same thing with you. Jesus Christ died in your place. Because you deserve death. I do too. Because we have sinned against God. We have sinned by breaking His commandments. We have sinned by neglecting to do the things that we ought to do. To him that knows to do good but does it not, to him it is sin. We have sinned in our thoughts. If you hate your brother, it's the same as murder. If a man looks on a woman to lust after in his heart, he's committed adultery already in his heart. We sin in our thoughts. We sin more than we can even imagine. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that our heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? You don't even know the depths of your depravity. You can even sin in the good things you do because you do them for the wrong motives. Folks, we are sinners. We are in desperate need of a Savior. There is one and only one, and His name is Jesus. And when He died on that cross, the penalty that is yours, He took upon Himself. The handwriting of the ordinances that was against us was nailed to His cross. And He said to die. Paid in full. And he died. Full payment for your sin has already been made. You can't do it. There was only one qualified to do it. And he's already done it. And your only hope is to put your faith in him. It doesn't matter if your daddy was a preacher or your granddaddy was a deacon. It doesn't matter if you're a church member. It doesn't matter even if you've been baptized. If you have not trusted in Christ and Christ alone, you're lost. You must put your faith in Him. It's the same gospel for all people. This is the mystery of His mercy. You say, God, even in the hardening of His people Israel, is showing mercy to the world. And God wants to show mercy to you today. He wants to show mercy to you today. The question is, will you receive it? 
If you're here today and you have a question in your mind, say, I don't, I don't think I'm really saved. I, I'm, a, I'm just not sure I've really received Christ. Ask Him. It's that simple. Put your faith in Him. Ask Him. He'll save you. Remember what we read earlier? Whoever, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. Everyone. It's the same way for everyone. If you think you're relying on something else, today's the day. Rely on Him. You say, well, I know I'm saved, but I'm just... I'm just not where I need to be. Well, you know what? He has mercy for you too. John tells us what to do about that. As a Christian, he said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know what's wonderful about that? He doesn't just forgive the sins we confess, but he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Because he knows we're not even going to remember them all. That's our God. He's a merciful God. Will you receive His mercy today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh God, we are so thankful that you are a merciful God. Because if we had to stand before you on our own merits, we wouldn't have a chance. We can't stand upon, upon our own merits because we have none. Lord, if we think we have merit before you, I pray that you'd bring conviction of sin to our mind. Remind us. Graciously remind us of the sins that we've committed. Graciously, Lord, if there's one here today that thinks, I, I don't need that. I'm a good person. Oh, Father, I pray that you would heighten their awareness of their wickedness in their heart, even by saying that. Lord, we are desperately in need of you. Father, we're so grateful, so grateful that you are anxious to save us, that you've moved heaven and earth to make a way for us to come to you, both Jews and Gentiles, through your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you'd have your way this hour, this moment. And that, Lord, if there is anyone here that needs to know you, that needs to put their faith in you, I pray that today would be the day they would say yes to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.